Hey, beautiful people, and thank you for listening to the Bang 2-3 podcast. If you find this funny, entertaining, or insightful, feel free to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, or if you want to make my day, go show us some love on our Instagram page, because I love each and every single one of you. Thank you for listening. I'm here with my buddy, Keegan. Is that how you pronounce your name? You got it. Awesome. And Keegan is probably my newest buddy in the whole world. Um, so I, long story short, I decided to start a podcast, man. Yeah, I needed social interaction. I needed to get out there and I enjoy talking to people. So I bought all this studio equipment and I was like, man, how do I test this stuff, man? I'm such a noob. I know nothing about uh, audio, video, all this stuff. I'm very overwhelmed. So I said, you know what? I'm going to go on Omegle. Uh, for those who don't know what Omegle is, you just kind of like, you get to video chat with random people. And I love that. Um, you see like a lot of penises, just to be honest. <laughs> a lot of people go in there. <laughs> a lot of people go in there to do sexy He's things. He's not wrong. <laughs> yeah. But I met Keegan um, while testing my audio and video equipment. And you are one of the most fascinating people um, I have ever met online. And that is the truth. Um, you are a philosophy major, um, yep. you with a, with a, a focus in ethics. Is that, is that right? Correct. Yeah. Cool. Um, you currently work on fiber internet. So you, you're laying down the literal infrastructure for internet. Is that accurate? Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm playing a part in it. Cool. So yeah. Oh yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. <it's, laughs> I'm sure like, uh, you're not the only internet guy out there. And, um, Something else that I thought was freaking crazy, uh, you, you emailed me, said you've hiked the Camino de Santiago, I'm probably butchering the name, twice. And for those who don't know what that is, I didn't. 500 mile hiking trail, 500. Five yeah, zero. I haven't done the full thing. Oh man. I'll say that. Why so well, and, and the Camino, well, I didn't lie. I didn't oh. lie. The Camino is a big thing. Uh, you can actually, the longest Camino hike um, somebody did was from the scandinavian peninsula around all the way through europe um there's hundreds of different pathways to take i've taken two different pathways nice. um but not the i guess whichever 500 kilometer route you might be talking about yeah um, yeah no i didn't say why did you lie i said why didn't you lie you should be like yeah I, I, I <laughs> oh like yeah i hiked 500 miles twice i hiked that no, bitch actually, i hiked a thousand mile route so that bitch was way shorter <laughs> so so is that how and, and it's in spain um, is that, yep. that's accurate? Yep. Well, I mean, the end point is in Spain. Uh, you can start from anywhere. Um, it's an old, it's actually an old pagan route. It used to go all the way to the coast of Spain, uh, Finisterre, and then the Catholics shortened it up to the cathedral in Camina, in, uh, Santiago. Um, and so now the route ends like a couple miles short of where it used to be. Why, why would the Catholics shorten a hiking trail? That sounds a little weird. <laughs> uh, well, you know, the, the pagan trail was, you know, you go to the cliffs on the edge of the coast of Spain, and, like, that's the edge of the world, um, and there's no cathedral there, right? And so then the Catholics are like, oh, pilgrimages are good, but you need to go somewhere with the church. And oh. so... The, uh, the cathedral in Santiago de Compostela um, became the end point. I'm sure there's way more history to it, but like the 
quick and dirty version of it is just Catholic cathedral. Boom. We'll just end it here instead. So it's beautiful. But yeah. What, what was that like? First of all, I guess to travel to Spain, I've, I've never been out the country and then to do this hike, like how many days did it take? Did it suck? Um, was it pretty? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I've been, um, so I've been twice. The first time I'll say was like pretty, uh, overwhelming. Um, I didn't speak uh, really much Spanish at all. I'd call it my restaurant Spanish, you know, and that's like American <laughs> Spanish. Um, and up there they actually speak, it's sort of, it's called Gallego, which is like ancient Portuguese since it's depending on who you ask, probably supposed to be part of Portugal. Um, but it is beautiful. It's one of my favorite regions in the world. Um, gray skies, lots of rain, kind of cold, uh, but good food and incredible architecture and buildings. Uh, the hike takes um, a week for the portion that I did each time. Um, so you fly into the airport, you get on a bus, they drive you out and drop you off in, um, for me the first time, it was a town called Saudia, and you hike back um, to the city from there. And the trail takes you through people's backyards and big farms and countryside, and sometimes you're along a road, and other times you go the whole day without really seeing very much except for a lot of, you know, rundown buildings. And um, there's a couple of ways that you can approach it. You can either book your stuff in advance. And so you know where your end goal is each day, which is what we did because I was chaperoning a, a church youth group. Um, but there are people who hike it and essentially just walk as far as they can. And then there's a hostel. Um, it's very... Uh, I mean, during the pandemic, it was really rough because the trail is so, it's usually just so full of tourists and everything. Were you there during the um, pandemic? No, I actually okay. went, um, I went several years before the pandemic and then I went again, um, the year before the pandemic. Um, so yeah, I've, I've only seen it pre pandemic, but because I was so involved and, and loved it so much. You know, I've stayed in touch with people in the area and um, I've sort of, you know, I keep an eye on it. When's, when's the next time? When's my third hike going to be? Because uh, I know I'm going to do it again. And yeah, I was just watching um, during the pandemic and, you know, people were having to close up shop and move around and they've recovered somewhat, but um, it really took a toll on it. Uh, fortunately, it's one of the more famous routes like pilgrimage routes so it will survive but there are lots of other pilgrimage routes that that didn't survive that hit so um yeah i was yeah uh... no it's awesome i highly recommend it uh the first time i did it i way overpacked um i had like a, a suitcase and you know we were fortunate in the group you know it's a church group they're out of california uh we had you know, you could put your extra suitcase and somebody was bringing it with us. Now, the second time I was like, I'm carrying all my stuff. So I packed into one bag, uh, 25 pounds and hiked the whole week with that. And it was still probably too much stuff. Uh, wow. You really realize how little you need on a trip like that. And you spend a lot of time thinking and uh, you get to reflect a lot. It is, you know, 
a Christian pilgrimage path, but it's turned into so much more um, than just the religious thing. People are hiking it. They're meeting each other. Um, you know, you may or may not even go to the Catholic mass at the end in the church. Uh, it's more about the experience on the trail these days. So, yeah. So whenever you do something like that, um, how does it like change you whenever you come home? Are you different? Because I've, I've heard, I've seen like testimonials or whatever you want to call it of people hiking like these huge trails in America, like the Pacific Crest Trail and stuff like that. And they're like, man, I don't know if I could come home to my job. Like I, I spent X amount of days or weeks or however long just out in nature living like we did thousands of years ago. And like people just are fundamentally changed. Did you experience any yeah. of that? Um, I did. Uh, I certainly did. Uh, but I was also at a point in my life, the first time I hiked it, I was in college. And so I was having to go back and go to class, but you're still not on uh, like a job schedule, right? Once you get out into the real world, um, it's different. But it was like going back to like a college campus and just being like, ooh, like this is, I would, I would rather just go walk around, right? Like the in nature part, big, big, big aspect. The second time I hiked it, um, I had actually just gotten back from teaching English in Spain and living in Santiago de Compostela, um, which is really cool. And it's why they asked me to do it again was they were like, Oh, that's awesome. Like now you know the area. So I, I chaperoned another trip. Uh, but at that point, even, you know, I, my job had been teaching English. I just moved to the Bay area of California. I was a substitute high school teacher and I coached a cross country team for another high school. I worked at a country club as a lifeguard and coached the swim team there during the summer. So I didn't have like a real, I didn't have like a, like a career I was leaving and coming back to. I had a very relaxed, you know, laid back lifestyle, uh, but still, it fundamentally changed me, and that's why I took the job that I have now, where I am literally like working outside yeah. 90% of the time. Um, I'm in nature. Um, I get to spend a lot of time in small groups or even by myself, working by myself. I don't have somebody breathing down my neck. We have production goals, but like that's Pretty personally easy. driven. So, yeah, I mean, I took this job knowing, like, oh, that's something I can do. It's not going to drive me crazy. Um, so if I'd been coming back to like a nine to five in the office, I think that that would have driven me up a wall. Um, but since I'd hiked the Camino twice, right, it, it actually influenced my decision in what job to take rather than being like, Oh, I don't like, I don't like this. I'd rather go on a hike. So, yeah. So I I didn't know that. So you're, you're kind of a great person to talk to about one of my favorite things in the world, which is traveling. I love to travel and whatnot. I definitely haven't mm-hmm. been to Spain. I haven't hiked the, the Camino del Santiago twice or all of this stuff. Um, one thing that I find is where I live. Um, I, I've lived in like three or four different places, not a lot. But where I live, I think, has like a huge impact on me personally. I'm like happier in some places. I'm more inspired in other places. Um, it just – and I – Unfortunately, I feel bad for folks. A lot of folks just um, never move outside of their hometown. I guess you, you've lived freaking everywhere. 
do you agree or is it like, hey, listen, wherever I am, you know, life's kind of the same. You know, it is what it is. That's an excellent question. Um, I have. Yeah, I've lived a lot of places, you know, from my my perspective, I couldn't imagine only living in one uh, place. But I do know a lot of people who have lived their entire lives in a, you know, maybe even in the same neighborhood, right? Like they've traveled a little bit outside of that, but it might be like a week long cruise. Yeah. Like, um, but, you know, I, I make the recommendation that everybody travel. That's certainly my stance. I say get out there, look at it. Um, I have found that everywhere I've lived, it's not it's not the same, um, but it's not necessarily that I'm happier in a particular place. It's everywhere has its pros and cons, right? And, yeah. uh, you know, I've lived in not just a lot of places, but a lot of very different places. And I mean... What's your favorite? Santiago de... Uh, well, Santiago de Compostela is my favorite, um, but so, it's weird because... So you could live anywhere like, in the world, right? Money's yeah, not the issue. north of Spain. That's your place. Yeah, north... Yep, that's my place, north of Spain, that's for awesome. sure. Yeah. But it's not like, um, you know, I've lived in California, right? And that's paradise. Hotel California, you check in, but you never leave. Like, um, And it is beautiful uh, in the Bay Area and other parts of California are beautiful as well. Um, the weather's very predictable, very mild. Um, but I like, I like seasons. I like thunderstorms. Um, and so everybody's going to be a little different, right? So maybe somebody is happy not traveling, and so they don't need to travel. But uh, that would be difficult to know without having traveled. And so then once you travel, you've done it. Um, so I, I'm a fan of telling people to try things, right? You never know until you, you go out there and try. So you yeah, say you're sure. happy without traveling, but get out there, try it. If you're really unhappy, you can always go back. Yeah, also a word of warning. Listen, traveling could be like a little bit of a drug, bro. You can get addicted and it's like, yes. you know, hey, oh, man, yeah. if you live in the desert and you hate the heat and you've lived there your whole life and then you go to like freaking Montana, you're like, oh, hold up. This is incredible. <laughs> this is awesome. It'll change everything. Uh, so you are the only the second person I've ever met in my life who has studied philosophy. Um, yeah. I don't even, I'm thinking of like maybe celebrities or something like that. I know like one celebrity who did. Um, so just a real like dummy question. <laughs> if you've studied philosophy, does that make you a philosopher? Um, I mean, I think, I think by default, um, having studied it makes you one for sure, uh, makes you a philosopher. But I think we're all philosophers, whether you really think of yourself as one or not. It's something that you would, you're sort of opted into just as like a human being. Yeah. It's, I think, a fundamental aspect of just being like conscious. Um, and maybe like I'm wrong about that. It's a what do you but, mean? You're, you're yeah. the expert, bro. You're the philosophy major. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I, you know, that you know, I'm a, I'm a philosophy major. Great. I have my undergrad degree in philosophy. Um, there, you know, you can go get a master's in philosophy, you can go get a, a PhD in philosophy. Um, I, you know, I, I explored those routes, but at the same time, like all, all the philosophers we study, like up until pretty recently, um, you know, if you look into who they are, what they did and whatnot, they, you know, they're not out there like, oh, I'm studying philosophy. They're out there like, I'm interested in this subject and I write about this subject and I think about this subject and then I, you know, 
tell other people about this subject that I've researched. And everybody's like, oh, whoa, like, that's crazy philosophy. And, like, this dude, you know, he was, like, a painter and an artist. And, uh, or, you know, they had, like, real jobs and they did real things. And they were just people. And philosophy is, like, a, just a side gig. Um, you know, they're out there thinking and putting ideas out. Like, that's a philosopher. I, you can go get more degrees in it, but you can also just read some books. Yeah. talk i mean this is philosophy right now we're having a conversation we're talking about life we're doing stuff like that is at its core philosophy so would you like summarize it as philosophy or a philosopher is a person who dwells and thinks about topics and then creates some insightful um, opinion or output yeah, yeah, it's a it's a pretty apt description of it. I mean, the literal translation, right? It's uh, philo, which is love in Greek, and sophos, which is knowledge. Mm-hmm. Uh, so having a, a love for knowledge, there are, you know, you hear about schools of philosophy and branches of philosophy and types of philosophy, essentially, which is really cool. But um, yeah, philosophy at its core is just knowledge and and loving that knowledge and so how do you show your love? Well, for some people, it's talking about it. Some people, it's writing about it, having opinions, not having opinions. It comes in many shapes and forms, but it's just knowledge and love. Uh, and that's, that's how I see it. Yeah. So like what, what type of person or like what do you think motivates someone to, to like study philosophy? Because a lot of folks will hear that and they'll say, oh, man, you know, maybe you can't make money with that or, you know, you're just some hippie or whatever, you know, these are stereotypes. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I don't mean like, Hey, why do you want to study philosophy? Because you want to be a philosopher. I think a lot of people, uh, study acting, not because they want to be an actor. They want to be famous. A lot of people become a doctor because they want to make great money. So what do you think yeah. like motivates someone to say, you know what, this is what I'm going to study um law school mostly it are you serious like. yeah what, most, what's that connection i think well i think um at at the university that i attended there were like three or four philosophy tracks you had ethics general philosophy and pre-law and then like sort of a make your own philosophy um route and there were nine of us in the philosophy major the year I graduated and I want to say seven people were going to law school they were all pre-law um, so I think it's a big thing for undergrad philosophy is you know it's a step toward uh, the law profession I don't you know it, like most things right people study it for a reason um, my personal reason I mean I took a one semester it was a philosophy slash psychology course at my high school that was offered as sort of just a two teachers got together one of them wanted to do psychology one of them wanted to do philosophy but you couldn't do an entire year on it because mm-hmm. you know it's not part of the core curriculum so they split the year up and that's what really got like me introduced to philosophy and you know i went to college to study to be an architect and i was doing art history and studio art and environmental science because i wanted to build uh environmental you know focused buildings green architecture but 
I wasn't very happy with what I was studying, I guess. I wasn't bad at it. I had good grades. Everything was going fine, but I just wanted to drop out. I transferred schools. My parents talked me into finishing my degree at the university where I did graduate. And, um, you know, they were like, you can do whatever you want. Just finish your degree. You have so many credits. And that's where I got to choose for myself something that made me happy, which was philosophy. You know, I was always asking questions in class, you know, the whole I had a contemporary art class like, oh, what is art? And, you know, I'm sitting there like, oh, what is art? Like seriously getting into it and um, that, you know, I did it in environmental science. I did the same thing. So what's the common denominator? I ask questions. So yeah. chose philosophy made me very happy. Um, and I see it as like a critical thinking and, uh you know, explore the world, right? I mean, you can get a degree to get a job. Doctors make money. Actors are famous. Um, those are all, you know, great examples. I did it. Uh, personal improvement, right? I've got a college degree. The number of times people have asked me uh, since graduating college what my degree was in when I've applied for a job is zero. Uh, I've never been asked my GPA. I graduated with high honors. That's awesome. Um, I graduated with a degree in philosophy. Nobody cares. It's a it's a checkbox for the most part. Um, but I read my mom's dissertation for her doctorate, and it was about how college and degrees is it's about making you a better person and a, a more well informed citizen in a democracy. That's like the purpose of education, and so it's not, you know, pursuing education to get a degree and to make more money those are those are byproducts and side effects of getting a degree and becoming a better person and a more well-informed citizen and being more engaged in your society. Um, people were making more money as doctors, lawyers, philosophers, uh, you know, the the priests, you know, all these professional degrees, they were going to college and they were making more money because they were civil servants. They were doing things. Uh, and somewhere along the way, somebody's like, oh, if you go to college, you make more money. So now we all go to college to get a degree so that we can check off that box that says we went to college to get that job that really doesn't require a college degree. You know, everything yeah. you learned in college, even if you even if you happen to go into a field uh, that is your field of study, you're likely not using very much from college other than some, you know, broad transferable skills um, that, you know, you're, you're learning how to do your job on the job specifically. And yeah, so. Yeah, for sure. So uh, I think studying philosophy, somebody talks you into it. That, that's what happens. <laughs> so somebody like me comes along and talks you into it. I talked like three people into it in college. Uh, one of them, he's, uh, he was like a music business major, had a band. Uh, they, they still have a band. They're awesome. I just went and saw them. Uh, and yeah, he ended up, studying philosophy because he he took a class and he was like you know what, what are you going to do with that and i was like i have no clue man but i'm enjoying it i'm here it's awesome we talked about it a lot and i didn't even know until you know four years after we graduated that he had ended up you know changing his major he was two years behind me changed his major ended up taking philosophy and never looked back so that's incredible i think first of all i think you should be commended because you are genuinely a rare breed uh it sounds like you just were like hey listen i'm doing this thing this thing in school philosophy and i freaking like it it makes me happy so i'm just going to keep doing it right and bro a lot of people overthink it all right and you're looking at a guy who did overthink it um <laughs> and it's like 
hey man, find something that makes you happy and just keep doing it, man. And then eventually maybe you'll find something else to make you happy and, and you'll find, you'll figure out the details. But something you just said was kind of interesting. I've never heard it. So could you explain to me this theory that you don't go to college to make money. You go to college to be a more informed citizen and I guess a, a better person. I've, I've never heard someone talk about this. It's always about the money. No. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I mean, that's a, that's the philosopher side of me is coming into that. And then also, um, being brought up by, by my parents, both of whom are, uh, you know, doctorate level degree holders and, uh, my dad's got a postdoc and yeah, education has been a big part of the family. It's a big part of life, but it's never been, uh, it's never been about the money as evidenced by the fact that my mom literally wrote her dissertation about, you know, why should we go to college? What's the point of education? And her whole thesis revolved around, uh, seeing it as an improvement of the human being and the human condition. And dude, she sounds like an awesome person. Sorry to cut you off. Could you imagine, <laughs> right? So you just got a doctorate. So you've been in school six, seven, eight plus years. And your final paper is going to be on like why, like a counterculture opinion on school. Whenever she's probably dedicated a large <laughs> faction of her life to school. Uh, she sounds phenomenal. Uh, like an awesome My mom is a phenomenal person. That's yeah. crazy, bro. Yeah. Um, and, and she's a saint because she, she ended up raising me <laughs> and I put her through a lot. So, um, but yeah, education has been really important. You know, it was, um, at some point all of their kids were going to go to college and it wasn't about like, you need to go to college to get a job. It was, you need to go to college because we believe education makes you a better person. And I totally get that now. I wish I'd caught on quicker. I wish I'd read my mom's dissertation in high school so I would have really understood, you know, the our our reasons for going to college, right? I I was caught up just as much in, oh, what am I going to study toward what job do I want to have? I wanted to be an architect. Okay, so what do architects study? What's the path to get that job to do that thing? Um, and so that that was how i picked my college it's how i picked my classes it's you know and and it didn't make me happy and that kind of you know blew my mind because obviously i wanted to be an architect so why wasn't i happy studying the things that would let me become an architect and um and i heard it everybody i went to high school with everybody i was in college with right they're like oh i'm studying biology because I'm pre-med and I'm going to be a doctor and you know I'm studying political science because I'm going to go work in you know at a super PAC and figure out how campaign donations work and it wasn't until you know I, it took me five years to graduate college so I did three years at my first institution uh, transferred and, and took two more and it wasn't until after four years of college that I actually read my mom's dissertation and that's when it switched for me of like, oh, actually, this is true. Like in studying philosophy, you know, I started taking it more seriously, figuring out like, oh, um, you know, it might feel like your vote doesn't count. But in order to make the system work, you have to vote. Uh, you know, how do taxes work? Why aren't we teaching that in high school? That's a very practical skill. You know, what are the mechanisms that run uh, society and, and your day to day life? 
and it got me really engaged and involved with my own life and recognizing that, you know, uh, uh, there's a famous philosopher and I'm going to blank on who it was, but essentially like the unexamined life is not worth living. And so when you read all these philosophers, you're just, you can't help but examine your life and the world around you. And I think it improved me. And I, and I think that it has rubbed off in some small way uh, with a lot of people that I interact, uh, interact with, you know, they get somewhat shaken out of their, uh, you know, it's really easy to be jaded about everything. So, yeah. Yo, that's crazy. I've, I don't know if I've ever heard that the unexamined life is not worth living. So is is that just uh, referencing things like, hey, um, I have a job. Does it make me happy? Or, hey, I have a mortgage. Is this serving me? Like, what is what does that mean? Like to examine your life? Yeah, well, you know, I think that's going to vary uh, depending on how much you, you have to examine, how much you may have already examined um, or not, right? It's, yeah, I have a job, right? And does it does it make me happy is a good question, but does your job need to be the thing that makes you happy? Holy um, shit. This because is crazy. Right, like you like like you have to you have this job, right? So like yeah. what are you getting paid to do? Okay, like you I, my job. My job like I'm fortunate, right? I happen to think it's not my job that makes me happy. I was already happy, but I, I do enjoy my job. But it doesn't mean like if you're getting paid salary for 40 hours a week, 9 to 5 Monday to Friday, why are you letting your job stress you out after five o'clock on a weekday, on Saturday, on Sunday? You know, why have we not drawn those boundaries? And that's because a lot of people haven't examined the fact that, you know, they're overworked and underpaid. And, you know, if, if everybody were to draw better lines and boundaries, we'd all be better off because what happens is, is like, that one person that's like, oh yeah, no, I'll, you know, I'll respond to this email at 7 p.m., 11 p.m., 1 a.m. Um, it sort of sets an expectation for the rest of us to do that, right? You know, I look like a lazy, <laughs> lazy piece of shit because I don't respond to my email outside of work hours and everybody's like, Keegan, we didn't hear from you. I was like, yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, I was on break. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'll, I'll die on that hill, right? Like, um, examine that aspect, right? Work-life balance. Great. Uh, but yeah, change up the question, right? You, if you if you have to get happiness from your job, like then you're relying your happiness on something that's very much out of your control. And also it's a question of money, right? Money doesn't buy happiness, but it gets you things that make you happy. Um, but how do you value your time and, and all sorts of other things come up. A lot more questions. Philosophy is a lot of questions, not a lot of answers, but uh, it's good conversation. Dude, no, this is this is more of the conversation. This is phenomenal. Uh, so what you're saying is like kind of maybe one way to examine your life is to examine which box each part of your life may fit in. Um, so maybe I have a job and its role is to feed me and not drive me freaking crazy. I have hobbies. Their box is they make me happy and maybe um, they help me make friends, um, like podcasting. I made a new friend, you. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and maybe I have 
pets and their job is to make me smile or like not job. Oh man, not job. Their box. <laughs> what the, the way they serve me is they make me smile by doing silly things, you know? So you could just kind of like exam. And I think to your point, man, nobody does that. I know I don't, you know, it's like there's tons of bleed over. So this box um, theory is in my opinion, very powerful and something I, I haven't heard. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a good, you know, there's, uh, there's going to be countless ways to, to break it down and the words you have to use to explain it to one person are not the same words that are going to make sense to another person. Uh, even if you're speaking the same language, uh, much less if you're trying to translate it across languages, but you start somewhere and if it looks like it's making sense to somebody, then you're on the right track and you just, you stick with it and, um, you know, eventually it'll catch on, right? Somebody might not like the idea of boxes and so then you change it around and you're like, oh, it's baskets. And it's like, that's not a huge difference, right? But in their head, now they're conjuring up something that's friendlier to them for whatever reason, a basket seems friendlier than a box, so. Yeah, yeah, or a bucket or whatever, or even, hey, maybe there's some people out there who's like, listen, I work 16 hours a day I know lots of people can look at this and say, hey, this is not healthy. But man, my work makes me happy. Um, I'm, I'm healthy. It's not impacting my relationships or whatever. So man, I want to work 16 hours a day. You know, I may, mm-hmm. hey, maybe that works for some people. I, I know there's a lot of you know, workaholics out there. Um, may, I, I don't know. Maybe they could question their motivation. Like, hey, are you doing it for money or are you doing it? <laughs> and is that bad? Like, is it, is it bad well, to, to say that? Well, you got to take somebody at their word, right? Um, There's not a whole lot more we can do in terms of, like, if if you want to lie to me, um, I can put a whole lot of effort into figuring out if you're lying to me. But all the effort in the world isn't going to help me if you think that you're telling the truth. Oh, Oh, I love working 16 hours a day. (laughs) Well, all right. Like, I'll take you at your word. I'm like, hey, this guy loves working 16 hours a day. That's great. You know, he's love it. And then, you know, if at some point I'm looking at you, I'm like, that can't possibly be true. That's, you know, that's me looking at you and being like, I think you're lying to me. Um, and, you know, no, I, I do. I really do. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I, like, I, I, wonder- can't, <laughs> I can't. I can't tell if you're lying or not. I wonder how often we lie to ourselves to justify bad decisions. Like, hey, I I went to school to be a lawyer, and I literally invested a freaking half. I'm a half a million dollars in debt, student loans. So, listen, if this doesn't work out, if I do not like this, you know, I'm screwed. So, I wonder if, mm-hmm. like, I wonder if you know, people like trick themselves. Like, hey, listen, I I want to be a lawyer. I like being a lawyer. I like reading these boring books. You know, I bet that happens a lot more than we think. Oh yeah. 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 I, I mean, just think about think about all the things that you don't like to do about life that it's it's somebody's entire livelihood and you know, we've built an entire society where there's there's whole segments of the economy that are just like things that have to be done that nobody in their right mind wants to do. Like that it's that's a whole portion. I mean, and, and then you've got it. You've got a whole array of a, a range of things there 
um, you know, you talk about things that are beneath me, right? Like something that I wouldn't do because it's beneath me, right? I have a college degree. Oh, you know, I couldn't possibly be a garbage man because like picking up the trash is beneath me. Oh, well, like that's dumb. Like if you really examine it, being the garbage man might be a really great job because, you know, maybe you're a morning person and you just like get in your day, like you started at, you know, crack of not even dawn and you're and you're done and you know that's the schedule you like and the work's fine the pay's great the pay's better than what you would get with the job that required you to get that college degree anyway so if you examine the situation it's not that anything is beneath you you know or that there's even a hierarchy um why why do you have to lie to yourself about oh i like being a lawyer i like being a lawyer i like being a lawyer yeah. uh just examine the situation right maybe there's a job out there that you could get that makes even more money than being a lawyer that makes you happy hey, uh, you know you never know if you try i'll tell you one thing that is pretty much disgusts me man is that something somebody is beneath them it's it's despicable um and i i have a little bit of experience in this I worked for McDonald's, um, flipping mm. burgers, whatever, for like four years. Um, and now, you know, I work with computer scientists, coders, right? Programmers, right? And these yeah. guys are like some of the smartest people I've ever met. But damn, they could be pompous, man. And it is ridiculous. Yeah. It's like whenever I worked at McDonald's, I met people who were happier funnier i wanted to spend more time with them they were more sincere they worked harder um and it's like they had i don't know how to describe it except to say they had a soul a lot of these a lot of folks that i meet in my current job it's like you know for for example i knew a guy um and people would ask him questions and he'd be like hey tom i'm gonna just call him tom Hey Tom, what is a what does a computer programmer do all day? And he'd be like, "Oh, well, real quick, I just want to correct you there. Uh, we're not computer programmers; we're actually engineers. So, could you please re-ask the question?" And, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, like, bro, you you type on a keyboard for a living? Like, it's so crazy how like I wonder if if it's is it status? Is it like?" Cause it always seems to be related to people's jobs. Like why do we derive so much status from a freaking job? I mean, it's, it's an illusion in, in a lot of ways, uh, societal structures, etc. you know, hierarchies. We want to talk about things as top and bottom and where do you fall? Um, but yeah, I mean, everything's so interconnected, right? If you really get down to the nitty gritty, I mean, I've met, what computer programmers, engineers, whatever they want to call themselves, all the guys on like the software side yeah. of, of the internet. And it's, it's always interesting. You know, I was in a bar and these two guys were talking. It's like, I know what they're talking about. And then, you know, I was, I was reading a book at the bar, right? Weirdo, uh, reading That's a book awesome. at the bar. And, uh, they dragged me into the conversation and it's a argument. One of them's like, a I don't know, paper pusher, bureaucrat of some kind. The other one is like a software developer and they're talking about it, yada, yada, yada. And all I, you know, all I could say to the software programmer was like, you know, I'm, I'm glad you're really good at your job or whatever. But at the end of the day, like if I 
break the fiber that's going to your, you know, place of work. You're not getting anything done. And his friend's like, oh, snap, you know, because, you know, he had asked what I was doing. I was like, I work in the field. Like, I build the Internet infrastructure behind it. He's like, oh, that's cool. Like, it's, you know, it's not as important as what I do. I was like, you motherfucker. Like, that's not how this works. And we're great friends now. Like, we spent the whole night chatting. You know, it's similar to this. It's a random stranger I met. Good conversation, you know, but... um, yeah, I kind of I kind of had to rock his world a little bit and put things in perspective. Like everybody plays their part. It's important, right? Like um for me, uh I don't know why you want to have the illusion of being like at the top of the food chain or however you want to talk about it, and I don't know how that got so tied to our jobs other than um economists and engineers have sort of run rampant for a lot of years and that's sort of how we've centered our lives and everything is so focused on economic drives uh, but we don't really have like a goal right that's like a quarterly sales goal right you're watching money and tickers and going up is good but we don't have a goal it's not like oh the united states like our goal as a nation is to build a space station and like go explore another planet like there's no goal to yeah. it we're not driven by a goal in that sense you can never reach it yeah so we're on a hamster wheel so i, I think a lot of people can relate to that hamster wheel analogy i think real quick i think my analogy or my hypothesis for why a lot of coders these guys in tech are like that uh, first of all let me just say i love guys in tech um i think they are the smartest people i've ever met um I think they're incredible in their own ways, but there is this weird um, superiority complex. And <laughs> my hypothesis is, is that a lot of these guys and girls was, they were made fun of in school, bro. Like they were clown, they were the nerd, they were the geek and not like the cool anime nerd with like the goth hair, but like the math nerd. They were the guy who like, Everybody asked to like, please help with my homework. And then like would like slap and spit on like they were nerds growing up and they were the runts, everything. And now, now they've acquired the superpower of being able to control technology and their dick is so hard because of it. It is. They are just, oh boy, they feel like they have the superpower and it's a great power. And listen, it's a great paying job at all of this. But I just think that maybe... That's what I've witnessed a couple times, and I don't know if it's accurate, but that's. Just well, are I'm you doing. familiar with the Stanford Prison Experiment? Oh, I've heard like of the, it, but, but could you explain? Yeah, it? yeah. So the the basic outcome and and principle of it is just you know what's the power dynamic of prisoners to their jailers, and that essentially whenever you're put in a position of power, however small and insignificant the power that you have over someone else is, you'll end up abusing it. Yes. You know, the jailers uh, abuse the prisoners terribly um, every time. And even when, you know, you've been a prisoner and then you become a jailer, it, it could be even worse than if you've never been a prisoner. And um, on a on a much larger scale... That's essentially the situation you're in when you talk about uh, social structures is that there are 
prisoners and jailers, except it's a whole big pyramid scheme where like some people are jailers over others. And then you're given, you know, you're a prisoner to this person, but you're a jailer over this person. Those are the structures we're talking about. And so, um, yeah, I, you know, it wasn't until recently and it's really not even like the universal case, um, that you could be nerdy in high school. Like we still talk about it. We all know, like there's bullying. Um, there are ways to solve it. I don't think that the ways we're talking about are going to fix it, but yeah, then later in life you find yourself in a position where, you know, people can't bully you like outside of high school, there are still bullies. Um, but it's so different than, than high school. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, you get out there, you're given a little power and suddenly like, yeah, you're, you're now a top, top jailer. <laughs> yeah. So, so what you're saying is that like, Hey, uh, you may be higher up in some hierarchy than another person, but the hierarchy is like somewhat arbitrary and that doesn't make you special at all. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then, you know, and then we, uh, there's plenty of other social experiments too, about how you'll treat each other when you're, you know, given orders and, you know, whether you'll deliver the electric shock to somebody you can't see, that you're told deserves to be shocked or, um, you know, all sorts of experiments have been done. And there are plenty of thought experiments inside of philosophy talking about this as well. And so, yeah, I mean, on, on the greater whole, you're just looking at big social structures that are, um, you know, not, not to be dark that we live in a prison, but like, I can't exactly leave the United States, uh, if I want to, right? Like, yeah. You can't just renounce your citizenship and go to another country. Um, Do you think it's that's different just not how in, it's set up so. in other countries? Like uh, you're talking about like the, the rat race, the, the hamster wheel, the, you know, these structures or whatever. Have you, do you think it's different in other places? Uh, you know, it's a matter of, of degree. Um, I think that the sort of Americanized Western model of, Society is definitely uh, becoming more and more common in other places. But part of the reason that I love northern Spain so much is, you know, people talk about, oh, the pace of life in this place is so different. And mm-hmm. um, the pace of life in that place is so different. It, it's <laughs> it's it, it, it truly is. Um, and they haven't, you know, I think when you look at it economically, the area has suffered a lot for a lot of different reasons. There's been mass exodus of young people leaving either for other parts of the country or two separate occasions in their recent history. They've had large groups of, of young and middle-aged people who, who immigrate uh, either to the United States or um, to other parts of Europe entirely outside of the country. And, you know, that affects things, but socially when you're there, I mean, everybody is so friendly and, uh, you know, the food is so good. And, you know, I don't know why you'd want to leave other than if you're, if you're being sold, uh, via the internet and via, you know, television and radio and media in general, um, you know, you're being sold on the idea that life is better in these, uh, you know, more industrial, more productive, more, you know, urban 
areas. And so then you leave. And I don't know. It'd be interesting to interview some people who have left or if anybody's come back. But, you know, I've lived there. I've left there. I, I'd go back in a heartbeat because um, it just, yeah, the, not that there's no stress, but felt like there was no stress. <laughs> it was very cool. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely different in different places. But to what extent will that remain? Because when you're talking about economic forces and uh, there's a great book, uh, Jared Diamond wrote uh, Guns, Germs, and Steel, and he talks about the um, Native Americans versus Europeans. It's mostly what the book is about, but I like taking broader principles from things, and essentially it's just dominating forces, right? What leads one group of people to dominate another and what we're living through now is, you know, we're in the information age and culture wars and all of that. And so you have a particular lifestyle that is dominating the scene. I think we're at a tipping point where people are kind of like, no, that's not how I want to live my life. And we're seeing some pushback on it. Why do you think you know? it's dominating the scene? Because... Um I think you said like this kind of like Western, like super capitalism, you know, work till you die, like approach <laughs> that, that we are very accustomed to in America. You said it seems to be spreading. Um, and, you know, we're a really kind of unhappy bunch here in America, you know, suicide rates, whatever, bad depression. Why do you think it's spreading it? Or do you think it's like the Internet? What is the dominating force? Uh, well, when you're talking about quantifying value and and that would be in your everyday life seen as currency and the things you can buy with it and the things you can do with it um you know if you're at the top of an economic system where your everyday reality is so different from everyone else's everyday reality then this is a really great system and you want to push it in any way you can and you know you'll hear, oh, well, you know, the average person's life is is still better than the average person's life 100 years ago, right? We have all this technology, we have all this stuff, but, but we're not happier uh, and whatever, but you're more productive. Like, more things have been produced, more things have been made, there's more entertainment, there's more distraction from the unhappiness, and it can lock you in that cycle where we're just benefiting people who are getting to do really cool things. You know, um, there's a hand, you know, and, and I'm not like, oh, let's go chop everyone's head off and eat the rich. Um, <laughs> because, I mean, I'm going to reference another book. Uh, <laughs> yeah, go for so it. So there's a book by uh, Anatoly France um, called The Revolt of the Angels. And the book is centered around the angels who are, you know, plotting a coup against God in heaven. Wow. And they're trying to convince Satan to lead the armies uh, against God. And Satan's like hanging out in a hut in the woods, playing music on his pan flute. Wow. And they're like, you got to come lead the armies. We're all ready to fight and die for you. Like, let's go take down God in heaven, like take the fight to him. And Satan's like... Yeah, but the thing is, is, you know, if we win, then I become God and God becomes Satan and the cycle all starts again. And one day they will come to depose me 
and the fight is just like one big cycle of fuckery and i'm just gonna stay here and be happy and like play my flute and frolic in the fields Mm -hmm. and have a good time um and that's kind of my take right like there there's a fight to be had if you want it um but i think the most powerful thing to do would be to walk away like i believe in the internet i believe in education i believe in a lot of good things in society um but i'm not I'm not of the mind that, you know, a, a revolt or a revolution is in the traditional sense. Um, there's so many books to reference here. Another good one is um, Pedagogy of the Oppressed, where uh, Paolo Freire talks about um, when a revolution occurs, those who were oppressed will overthrow the oppressors and then simply become the oppressors and so in order to break that cycle you have to be really critically aware of hey you know i mean it's in the word right like a revolution is just like spinning around so like you don't want to have a revolution you want to break the cycle you want to get out of it and so you know you can't be hey you've been oppressing me and whatever like we're gonna take over the system and now we're gonna oppress you um and in the, the current way things are set up, like, yeah, tax the rich, yada, 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 you know, you do that. It, it doesn't fix anything. Um, you got to walk away from it entirely uh, because even engaging and trying to fight is uh, sort of just reproducing the same results that got us where we are now. And so you got to do something different. And, um, oh, man, uh, Ishmael by... Uh, I'm going to forget the author's name, but anyway, it's this great book about a talking gorilla. Highly recommend the read. Uh, but in Daniel Quinn um, and in his writing, his thing is about like, you can walk away from it, um, just disappear into the jungle and be done with it, which there's a cool uh, sort of, they're digging into the history of Mesoamerican cultures and there's evidence that there were large thriving agricultural societies in like the southwestern united states and um what the geological record is showing and all the archaeological evidence is seeming to show is that there was no like collapse of society in the same way that we talk about european revolts and collapse of society it just looks like they were farming one day and had these massive irrigation systems and central planning cities and everything. And then the next day, everybody just left. They're just gone. They didn't burn it to the ground. They didn't, you know, there wasn't an invading army. They were just like, Hey, this isn't working. And then they just left. Um, and that would be, I think for me, when I'm looking at all these movements and everybody, you know, you talk about, defund the police or like you know unionize the workers and you know whatever like we're already unionized we're all workers you know if if we really wanted to walk away we could walk away when you make the union and i look at unions today and i think you know they're they become part of the problem if they're around long enough because then they choose when you strike and what you strike for and you know they're just a business like everything else. And that, you know, that's kind of sad, but, um, you know, we could all just walk away 
you know, large segments of the, the population walking away would be the biggest thing. The what, most powerful thing would be to disengage. What does that look like? Like, let's say, you know, you want to walk away in like today's society, today's world. What is what does that mean? Oh, you got to help each other. Uh, and it's not like a literal walking away when I'm talking about it. You know, I don't mean, you know, pack mm-hmm. up all your shit and go live in a tent in the woods. I mean, you know examine what it is you're doing why you're doing it what effects it has you know are you perpetuating part of the problem you know are you uh i think i I referenced this book in our initial conversation which is peter singer's the most good you can do Mm -hmm. and you know he's talking about um you know do you take the the high paying job in order to make the money to give it away to causes to have a, a greater impact than if you went and donated your life or time to a single cause. But the broader, the broader thing that I take away from that is, um, you know, we can help e- each other make these decisions uh, and talk about it, but do you take the lower paying job to do something that allows you to paint and pursue a hobby on the side? Um, do you take the lower paying job for a company that's not destroying the world do you buy the more expensive items or the things that don't work quite as well, but get the job done because they're made with non-petrochemical-based plastics? You know, you do those things, and enough people do them. Um, and well, it kind of goes against some other things that I believe. But you know, you, you got to start somewhere. Um, like, you know, I'm not pursuing a job right now that has like college requirements. Uh, that's not where I am, but I like what I do and whatever. Um, but I spend most of my money on other people uh, rather wow. than on myself. Oh, I mean, whew, geez, how? I mean, I go on a 10-day break and I go find you know whoever I'm going to go hang out with and I'm going to try to buy you food. I'm going to hang out with you. I'm going to figure out like, hey, is there something you need? I've got friends having kids. I've got sisters having kids. I'm going to buy them stuff for their kids. Like, yeah. um, you know, I'm I'm paying rent on two apartments. The company pays for my housing, but I'm paying rent on two apartments, one uh, to help my sister and one to help my parents. Uh, I'm renting from both of them, you know, all sorts of little things you can do because you can afford to do it and um, make other people's lives easier. And just, I don't know, uh, my, my financial uh, planner says that I have a really healthy relationship with money nice. because I'm not, um, I'm not driven by it. I don't make decisions that are necessarily all about money. Uh, they're about the actions themselves. And so, yeah, when I talk about walking away from it, it's, it's that examining your life and figuring out, you know, how do you disengage so that you're not helping, uh, the system exploit more people? Yeah. Like there's plenty of space out here, you know, and, and it's challenging. You know, I, I tried to order like five things specifically not from Amazon uh, earlier this year. It was like a phone case and a laptop and, you know, I was going out there and trying to find a, you know, how do I buy this from somewhere where the money goes to a person? And I thought I did it and four out of five items showed up in Amazon packaging and I was like, Fuck. <laughs> you know, like, like I tried so hard. Yeah, I tried so hard. Bastards. Um, yeah, you can do all the research in the world and, and you're still going to come up short. But the the attempt is there, right? Like shop shop local. Oh, like what does that even mean? Um, but 
try, right? Like make the attempt uh, to do good. Don't just give in and be jaded. I mean, I have my days where I'm jaded. Don't get me wrong, but and and I'm a super. I can be super cynical sounding. Like I'll talk about it. You know, like oh, voting. Like here's all the reasons it doesn't work. You know, and and it's not good and it doesn't count and your voice doesn't matter and yada yada yada. As I'm like walking into <laughs> the poll area and I'm like filling out the ballot. You know, and I'm just like, this is stupid. Why are we even doing this? <laughs> like I'm casting my vote and it doesn't count. <laughs> Like, let me just write down and then, and, and, you know, I turn it in. But, you know, uh, I registered as an independent voter in a super Republican state in high school. I voted for third party candidates in every presidential election that I've been a voter in. And, you know, I've ridiculed and mocked at every turn. And I usually turn around and say something really snarky <laughs> back at people um, because, you know, oh, you're throwing your vote away voting for a third party candidate. And I was like, yeah, but like yeah. <laughs> you voted for for that. <laughs> like, yeah. like, I'll, I, you know, I'll go to bed tonight and I'll be happy about throwing my vote away because I don't have to think in, you know, four years I'm going to have to explain like, oh, I voted I voted for that candidate and like. I'm sorry. No. Like, I voted for the candidate that I, I did the research. I voted for the candidate. I mean, I'll write in a name if, if I have to. Um, but, you know, have some have some principles, I guess. Yeah. So it sounds like this uh, concept of, like, opting out, it sounds like you have a bunch of different ways that you do it. And I think there's also a term I've read about called dropping out, which essentially sounds like the exact same thing. Um, one of the ways that I thought was really cool and it was really cool because i thought of it as well some somewhat similar which is like um personally i if i want to give back you know i i don't trust a lot of charities unfortunately um just because i don't <laughs> and you shouldn't <laughs> i don't what well, there, there have been some really sneaky charities out there there have been some legitimate bad stuff happen and I'm just not a trusting person in general, but if I meet somebody in my life um, that is a cool person and, you know, I'm like, bro, you want 40 bucks? You want 100? Like, I like I just think it's so cool to like hand on hand cash exchange. Like, I think you are a cool person and I want you to have more money and I'm OK if it's my money. Like, I think that is like really cool. If you meet someone that's cool now, if. Hey, if the cool person you met is freaking Bill Gates, maybe don't give that guy some money. But, you know, if no, no, you should give Bill Gates 40 bucks just because it'll be funny. <laughs> like, hey, man, here's 40 bucks. Like, I think you could use it. <laughs> like, like, what is this? 20s? I haven't seen one of these in years. <laughs> like, hey, Bill, you know what, man? I just think you are so cool. Here's 40 bucks, man. I really appreciate you. Like, Treat yourself. The, go, you know what? Go buy yourself some a nice meal, Bill. Nice <laughs> meal. Like I, I bet he would be white as a ghost, man. That would be hilarious. Um, but yeah, so it sounds like a lot of the stuff you're talking about, as far as like opting out, um, dropping out, or um, is kind of analyzing, like you said, Amazon, for example, saying, hmm, you know. Um, Amazon is a huge company, you know, they're doing really well. They're going to continue doing that might really be well. the understatement of the century. <laughs> Amazon is a huge company. They are, they are everywhere. I fun <laughs> fact, fun fact. 
my computer is sitting on top of an Amazon Prime box right now because I got like some dog treats. Uh, but so kind of like like what you were saying earlier, analyzers say, hmm, I need to purchase a phone case. And Amazon, they're doing just fine. But, you know, I bet there's some girls and guys out there who have like a phone case store somewhere. And I bet they're busting their butt. And yeah, I may have to pay an extra five bucks, but I appreciate the fact that they bust their butt. And I think that my five dollars would be better used going to the small retailer or the cool chick at the bar or a struggling friend or something like that. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. so just, just kind of, I guess where we started the whole conversation is just kind of analyzing every aspect of your life you can. And I guess just making more conscious decision decisions, because I think Am- buying from Amazon, uh, just as an example, I'm not trying to beat them up, but just as an example, buying from Amazon is a very unconscious decision decision. They're the biggest guy on the block. You know, it's just, Oh yeah. Click boom. You know? So just, I guess being yeah. a little bit more conscious about, choices yeah i mean corporations and and like business strategies uh especially these days just remind me more and more of like a drug dealer so how it well you know you want to make it you want to make it easy and convenient for the person and um you know maybe at first you sell them one thing and then you have them try another you know promotions deals markdown you know uh can you undersell your competition until there is no competition and then you can charge whatever you want you know it's all it's all market strategy from the the street um the street up and and i mean it doesn't have to be drug dealers right i mean this has been like a forever thing it's like how do you economically compete um but philosophically for me uh there are some things um that just shouldn't be competed in an economic fashion, right? Like we're, we're mm-hmm. talking about, uh, people's lives here. You know, we're talking about food, we're talking about shelter. Um, and, and those are things that fundamentally just like shouldn't be on the table to, to compete over. Like maybe we can compete over the extent of the food, like, and how good is it? Well, maybe not even how good is it because you should have good food. It shouldn't be just like shit food, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and how, how much space do you get to live in? What's the minimum? But we're not even there yet. You know, we're talking about kicking people out of their houses. We're talking about people starving. Um, we're talking about parts of, of the wealthiest country on earth, you know, United States of America, um, where people are dying from exposure to the elements or malnutrition or, you know, populations of people that aren't literate in a, in the age of the internet and I'm looking around and I'm like, really? That's kind of weird. And it's that, that is because we're still competing, uh, for these things that it's just kind of silly to compete over. So, yeah. So do you know, or have you witnessed or do you have ideas? I mean, on what the heck to do? Because like you said earlier, it's kind of like this American way of life is spreading and you know people see shiny cars they say i like shiny cars i want to get shiny cars like how like for example if you know if you were to try to convert 
or f- <laughs> flaunt or I, I don't I don't like the word convert because that were sounding like a cult. But uh, if you were to like try to convince somebody and have a decent influence to maybe examine their life, what type of plan would you use? Uh, well, short of starting a cult, like an actual cult. I'm not against that, or, by the way. Or, or religion or anything, you know, Let's whatever you want to say. That, well, you know, it's not, it's not the first time that that's, that's come up. Uh, usually, uh, when I have an extended, protracted conversation about life and, and things, it does come up at some point. They're like, oh, like, are you starting a cult? <laughs> it's like, ah, <laughs> no, no, because, you know, I've, uh, I've seen enough cults. It, it goes wrong at some point. Um, for me, it's uh, that you know, silly old phrase of like leading by example, right? Actions speak louder than words. I'm not perfect. I make a lot of bad decisions. I do silly things, but I, I will say I try to live the life that I talk about. So when I'm talking to somebody about examining their life and, and, you know, asking questions and getting deep with it, I'm not, I'm not gonna, you know, pose myself as, you know, I've got it all figured out. Um, I'm going to try to have that conversation, uh, on the same level, right? It's a conversation between peers, not like, Hey, I've got it figured out. Here's like, here's the prescription for life. Listen to what I have to say. Like, um, and, and it's slow, right? I'm one person. I can talk to, you know, a couple of people a day. I don't talk to a lot of people because of my job. Um, but I do, uh, the world is a small place and, um, so I'll talk to random strangers and try to figure out how we might know someone or something or have a common connection. Uh, and it's not overt, right? I'm not like, Hey, have you examined your life? It's, you know, kind of covert. It's in the questions you ask, like, Oh, what do you do, uh, for work? And then it's like, you know, what hobbies do you have? You, you separate out, we we're talking about boxes earlier separate out the boxes in my own head and ask people questions that make them separate things out themselves. What makes you happy? What do you like about what you do to earn money? What don't you like? You know, would you change things if you could? Um, you know, it's, it's all in asking the questions and, um, being innocent and playing dumb, but like I have a goal and a purpose, which is to get more people to think about it. Uh, it's it's why I'm here talking to you, man. Like nice. we're, I'm on Omegle talking to random people, like you know, just trying to stay up. There's you know one night a week I don't have to work, but I try to stay on the same sleep cycle right now. So I'm on Omegle for a couple of hours, and then this guy's like, looks like he's got this big old setup. He's talking and <laughs> hey, you want to be on my podcast? I was like, oh. Yeah, this is great. Like this is this is even better. Yeah, let's do it. So, yeah, I think unfortunately the sad thing is like that. Um, what what you describe, you know, I'm gonna sound like a like a greedy guy, but like there's no money in it, right? It's like so it's hard to get that outreach. I wonder if the best or maybe the oldest or I I don't know example of people opting out or whatever. Would it be Buddhists, right? These guys are pretty well known. They they are like probably the least materialistic people out there, and supposedly some of the happiest people out there. Yeah, um, you know, I I know 
a lot of Buddhists. Um, I, I, in I got a, <laughs> got an entire stack of books from one of those guys. Well, actually, several times. You know, whenever I'm in a city, there's going to be like one of those Buddhist monks walking around. But this particular time in Denver, I was walking around downtown Denver, and um, you know, he's got books and he's asking for donations, and I got a little beaded bracelet and we're talking having the whole conversation um you know i went to the the lunch buffet at the temple the next day um i opted not to go to meditation <laughs> that night um you know yeah sure maybe there's something to it um but if you read the the buddhist text then there's something about the organized aspect of it that's sort of antithetical to the actual points that the buddha siddhartha uh, was making and that's you know i'm I wouldn't claim to be a Buddhist, um, and I haven't read all of the Buddhist literature, but I've read enough to form my opinion on it, which is like, oh yeah, this is really cool. It's a great way to approach life, and um, you know, it can help you solve a lot of things. Um, but the the fact that there's like Buddhism and Buddhists, it's uh, maybe not quite the point. And maybe they're the oldest, but it's not the only time that that's the case. Uh, you even look at early Christianity, um, Judaism to a certain extent, if portrayed in a certain light with the whole exodus and exile and, um, you know, being parts of other societies and how do you extricate yourself from under the Egyptians, uh, you know, walking away kind of thing. Uh, but that was what was dangerous about early Christians to the Roman Empire um, was that they were different. They had different social structures, they had different social beliefs, uh, and and that was a danger to the status quo. Um, and Buddhists would be the same way in a capitalist society now. Um, mm. I obviously we don't see that in America so much, but you do see the crackdown in China. Um, and people might say, oh, China's not a capitalist country. And you're right, kind of. Um, China's like, China's a capitalist country. So, you know, yeah. it's the it's the hotbed of capitalism because everything's made there, but it has a socialist structure to it. That's fun. Uh, but, they, you know, they're cracking down on Buddhists for, for being Buddhist, like, for that reason. So. I guess j just because they're different. I guess pe people don't like different. So let's let's do a thought experiment here. Uh, let's flip the the script here. Um, I think you have a concentration in ethics, which I think is fascinating. Mm -hmm. So let's put you <laughs> in. You are now Jeff Bezos. You are the CEO of Amazon, and you are the man. You're a billionaire. You know your wife smoking hot or girlfriend or whatever. And you wake up every morning and you say, hey, bro, like, I am so happy being Jeff Bezos because I am making everybody's life better. How is it making people's life worse when you can click a button and it shows up at your door? Yeah, there may be some environmental impacts and stuff, but we're working on it. But man, a lot of people are a lot more happy because I started Amazon. Are there ethical implications to this or like what would you do? You know, it, it, you could argue that it's, it would be unethical for him to like shut down Amazon because now you're, hey, whoa, wait a minute. A lot of people are screwed now. Where am I going to get my dog toys? Where am I going to get my phone cases and stuff? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think uh, there's a strong utilitarian 
uh, argument for Amazon being quite possibly one of the greatest um, companies out there, right? If you're thinking about measuring the happiness um, that is generated versus the unhappiness. Um, That's a good measure, you know. by the way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it. they employ a lot of people, but a lot more people shop on Amazon than are employed by Amazon. And um, so for however many people are in the warehouse working a job that, you know, they're being exploited at, and at, at an incredible level, uh, let's say for every one of them, there's three people that are shopping on Amazon who have great jobs and are very happy and their life is even better. And so when you're talking about the, the utile numbers there, um, it might outweigh it, but I don't know if I was Jeff Bezos, I think that there's probably a number of things, uh, but you can't, you can't get where Amazon is without competing, um, with everyone else. And so in order to compete with everyone else, you have to do, what is it? Uh, the don't fight with the pigs cause they'll drag you down into the mud and beat you with experience kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a great quote. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, you can't you can't get ahead in a capitalist society uh, if you, you know, I'm going to say overpay. Um, if you pay your workers uh, a living a living wage, and we're talking about compensation and and whatnot, you can't compete with the company that chooses not to do that. And so, when you're talking about ethics and morals, and corporations don't benefit from having ethics and morals in the same same way that we talk about ethics and morals in a, you know, you and I are, are talking to each other and we're talking about ethics and morals and, and people. Corporations don't benefit from that in the same way. Like a corporation doesn't feel better for having empathy or, or doing uh, an altruistic action because it isn't a conscious living being. It's like, it's just on paper. It's just made up. And so, it does those things for other reasons. You know, Amazon donates a bunch of money to all sorts of causes and whatnot, but at, at the end of the day, it's drops in the bucket compared to the the outsize effect that it has on our lives. Um, yeah. Takes a lot of tax dollars, doesn't pay a lot of taxes, uses a lot of infrastructure, doesn't pay to repair it. There's a lot of externalized sources, but you can't fault them for it because in a system where there are rules and they're following the rules, uh, you know, people are angry um, because like, why, you know, how, how can we let them get away with it? Well, you know, we made the system. We are the system. And so every dollar you spend at a large corporation is a dollar that you didn't spend at your local general store. And so one more person that you know is unemployed in your in your town that's one more dollar that goes to somebody who lives in a different city and you know goes up the the food chain of a corporation that is not headquarters where you are and um so yeah it sucks money out of the community rather than putting it in yeah if i woke up one day and i was jeff bezos i mean i can't say that i'd do anything different than him because he's gotten where he is by doing the things he's done and will continue to do those things i mean He's trying to go to space. I get that. I don't agree with the way that he's trying to do it, but that's certainly, certainly something that wouldn't have been, uh, like if that that would have been on my list of things to do if I woke up as Jeff Bezos. I'm like, yeah, we got to get to space. We got to do space exploration, and I have the money to do that. Um, 
I'm impressed that none of these multi-billionaire people have tried to really like build a city yet. I think that that's something that they, you know, sort of like a Disney world, but like an Amazon world where, you know, they can play test things. But, um, I think they have actually, I've, I've, I know of one for sure. And I, th- I think I've heard of a, a couple others, which is kind of crazy building a city. Oh yeah. No, I mean like there are, there are planned cities being built and whatnot. Um, I, just maybe not to the extent that like Disney world is like a thing. Um, I guess in my mind, like, you know, there's, there are plans to build, to build cities. I guess I'm thinking like city state level thing Mm -hmm. where you're like independent of the government structure around you as opposed to like maybe still being part of the society, but that, it's neither here nor there. We'll get on a whole tangent there if you get me talking about it. Uh, you know, that was a big, big part of why I wanted to be an architect. It was more like urban planning and how do you make people's lives better through the environment that they're in? Because um, cities have not been built for people uh, in America, but now I've experienced European cities and I'm like, yo, this is great. I can walk from one side of the city to the other. I can take a train from this city to that city. Like it cost me like 10 euros. It's fine. Um, and then I come back to the States I'm like, damn, I need a car just to like go down the street. Like mm-hmm. it's like a half mile, but I literally cannot walk there. Um, even if I tried, like I'd get, you know, run over or arrested. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or like no sidewalks, but to, to go back to you, uh, Mr. Bezos talking to, yeah. uh, Mr. Bezos right here. Um, so I, it sounds like what you're saying is like, hey, man, if you woke up as Jeff, you wouldn't do anything different because our system that we currently live in dictates his practices. Because if Jeff wakes up and he says, I'm going to pay all of my employees $100 an hour, his competitor will undercut him and therefore will have more profits and eat his lunch, right? So Jeff's yeah. Jeff's kind of bound. Now, I think you know, they're so big now, I'm sure they could do some of this stuff, but Jeff's kind of bound by the system, by the, he's, he has to play by the rules. And so he can't just say, you know what, I'm going to be a good person today. Uh, I am going to, you know, give away a bunch of crap for Amazon for free. You know, we're going to lose profits. That's just not, you know, you'll die, you know, and then, well, they've, they've been losing profits. They haven't been a profitable. Well, they haven't been a profitable company for very long, um, but they lost the profits in the effort to gain market share, which is a, a sort of a new business strategy where if you have enough capital up front, it's you know who's got the largest war chest, and then who's the last person standing mm-hmm. who therefore owns the market, and so you know Amazon loses money for a decade. But when the dust settles, there's no one else there. And so now Amazon can recoup the losses over the last decade by being the only person in town moving forward. And uh, and so now you're seeing the result of that being that are the prices on Amazon that much better than anywhere else? Not really. Are the, you know, are the prices, uh, you know, are you saving on shipping costs? You know, all sorts of things like the answer is not really. Um, you know, you see the same thing with the Ubers and the Lyfts and the whatnot is once they get the market share, 
then they charge market prices. And so then you're like, wow, this is weird that it's been cheaper up until this point. But no, they've been going below market prices to undercut the existing market to get market share, get control. And so, yeah, I mean, they're all playing by the same rules. So we know the rules. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't do anything different. Bezos, me. Um, I, he looked at the rules and he said, this is what I have to do. This is what I'm going to do. And he did it. And now now we have Amazon and we're living with that result. Uh, there are taxes that he, you know, I'm going to use the word should or, or ought, which is a, a loaded word in philosophy. Um, because what should you do? Uh, if you don't really have to, right? There, there are taxes on the books to pay, but there are also rules on the books that allow you to not pay those taxes. So why wouldn't you save billions of dollars and not pay those taxes yeah. when you still get to use the roads? The you know for the first for that first decade, Amazon is using the roads, the airports, and the postal service to their fullest extent and not paying any taxes doing it. And then, you know, now they're at a point where they built their own airport and they're still using the roads and they're not using the postal service. And so it's even like it's even more money in terms of from you and I that we're losing as a society to corporations, businesses, the way we have it set up. You know, we talk about giving tax breaks because they'll create jobs, yada, yada, yada. Business will exist no matter what. That's like, that's a thing. Make business pay taxes. It will still exist. It will still happen. People will still buy things. They'll sell things. They'll trade things. Um, you know, you might even have an Amazon sized business. It just would have taken longer to build it. And it would have been built on a more solid foundation. Um, you know, the, the minimum wage was put in place to protect workers and on a minimum wage, 40 hour a week salary, you know, back in the day when it was implemented, radical stuff, but you could afford to live. Just on inflation alone, the minimum wage, if it had been tied just to inflation, would be $21 right now. Wow. And, you know, people are fighting for $15 an hour and we're seeing the struggle there. You're not even, you're not even there yet. You haven't even beat inflation since minimum wage was in. So like, power to Amazon's like, oh yeah, at this point we can give them $15 an hour because it's effectively lower than the minimum wage when minimum wage was in, it, it was put in place. Like $15 an hour is nothing. Great. Here, you can have it. You know, the battle's over. Um, but you, you haven't won. You've actually, you've slid back, maybe not as far as you were, but certainly, you know, you're not where you think you are. And, uh, you know, that goes to the examining life. That's going to be a huge theme. I can feel it. Examining life. Like, what are the actual factual situations? And the situation is, is like, there are rules. They're being followed. We don't like the results. Great. But we also made the rules. We elected the politicians. We put people in place, you know, Local governments have the ability, you know, everybody's so focused on federal laws and making rules across the entire country. You forget that in your own backyard, you can make the rules in your town, in your city, in your county, in your state. You can make rules. Um, greatest example, marijuana. It's federally illegal. Big old That's problem. That's a good point. Colorado's, yeah, Colorado's like, fuck it. We're going to make it legal. Everybody's like, oh, shit, what's going to happen? Nothing. Nothing happened. 
Colorado made money hand over fist, made more money than than they knew what to do with just just money. Um, you know, the federal government was like, oh, we're going to take your fu- your federal funding away if you legalize marijuana. And they did it anyway. They made more money than they would have gotten from the federal funding. And the Fed still didn't take the funding away because you can't just take the funding away. That's not that it wouldn't go over if the federal government defunded the state of Colorado. Also, Colorado still would have been able to fund itself. That would have caused even more issues because, you know, then you have another state that says, hey, we don't actually need the federal dollars. Great. Well, now California opts out because California pays more into the federal system than than not. And California says we don't want to pay our taxes. Suddenly the whole thing falls apart. Um, Drinking age. Yeah. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Anybody can make any rules they want. That's great. Like Amazon, Amazon would have to pay higher taxes. Uh, I mean, you see it on online. If I order, ah, Looks like you dropped hey, out did I for lose a second. You? Yeah, one oh, of us so, dropped out. So for sorry a second. about that. No, no, you're uh, good. Um, uh, but yeah. So you're saying Colorado drinking age? Oh yeah, drinking age. But I mean, like you can change the rules uh, on on several different levels. It doesn't have to be nationwide. You know, um, we just see it with the the overturning of, of Roe v. Wade was a, a legal precedent, not even a law that people were just so used to. Um, it was essentially a rule saying that you can't have a law, which is, you know, fine and dandy and good, but it's also easy to overturn. Um, make the rules in your own backyard. Quit worrying about what your neighbor's rules are. Make your own damn rules and and see where it gets you instead of, you know, waiting for the federal government to say, you know, abortion is legal or illegal. The minimum wage is X dollars. The you know, the driving forces don't have to be on a national scale where you're talking about 350 million people. The the forces can be your town council getting together and saying that here in this town of 5,000 people, uh, you know, businesses will pay their taxes. Uh, people will not have an income tax. You'll still have to pay the federal income tax. That's fine. But, you know, you can make your own rules the way that you want to where you are and not make the rules for other people. There's no one way to live your life. There's 50 different states for a reason. We should have more variety, different rules. Um, and that's just, that's just my you know hot take on it. I get, I'll get on a tangent all about it. Yeah. Dr- but yeah, I, you know, I touched on drinking age. It's the same thing. They tied it to, to money and funds from the federal government and said, if your drinking age is under 21, you don't get this money. And so of course you're going to be like, yeah, give me the money. I'll make the drinking age 21. That's no skin off my back. I'm already 40 and I'm a Senator. And you know, the, the 18 to 21 year olds, uh, who this is going to screw over, um, they don't vote anyway. So like, who cares? Um, and then once we do this, like there, there's not going to be enough 18 to 21 year olds to to vote us out. So like we don't care. It's just. It, I I think it's what you study. It's like it's ethics. It's it's this weird thing, um, where kind of like the prisoner's dilemma. The thing people in power seem to just want to be a little shitty. Do you <laughs> think that like? Hmm. I, I don't know if this is the right question to ask or the right way to ask it, but do you think that humans or, or p- 
people are born with morals, ethics? Do you think that in general people tend to um, like go a certain way, maybe like they trend towards like I want evil or do you yeah, think people, the good and the evil nature they, versus nurture and I, I don't know the nature versus nurture, but like, do you think that people are inherently good or is this taught or what, what's your take? Yeah. So just the, the nature versus nurture thing is just whether you're born good or bad or whether your environment can dictate whether you're good or bad. So your nature okay. or is it your nurture is like the simple debate. Um, the answer up front is I definitely don't know um, for sure, but I have a I have a hunch that it's it's not as clean as one or the other. It has to be some sort of combination. You could be predisposed, right? Like you're born, and you know you're maybe more or less likely to be a certain kind of way. Like there's a range of options, right? Like I'm born. And there's only like a range of options for who I will be based on who I am when I'm born. And then once you're there, uh, you know, every decision you make and every decision everyone makes around you then affects the environment that you're in and that you grow up in. And that will then, based on the range of options that you have to be when you were born, uh, that will affect everything going forward. And so, you know, my range of options is, is I'm going to go as wide as the screen will let me is like that wide when I'm born. And there, there are things like other people's ranges will be outside of mine because, uh, you know, everybody's born in a different range. But then as you live, the range will change based on your environment. And it gets smaller because there are things that aren't options anymore that were options when you were born because of environmental factors, you know, you're born into a family that has a lot of money. Great. You're born into a family that doesn't have a lot of money. Whoop. Like you're, yeah. you know, you, you, uh, you learn how to it's read and enough. write. Yeah. You learn how to read and write. Awesome. You don't learn how to read and write. Whoop. You know, um, you never develop an addiction to anything in your entire life. You eat a healthy diet, you know, yada, yada, yada. Uh, cool. Um, you develop an unhealthy addiction to bread, like, you know, or whatever, whatever it is. Um, Why bread? <laughs> I love uh, bread. <laughs> I love bread, too. I, I have developed an unhealthy attachment to bread. Um, but whatever those, you know, it starts and, and not that it couldn't re-expand based on some decisions and environmental factors. But more often than not, things get closed off that you can't reopen. Like, it's more difficult to teach someone to read and write later in life than it is early in life. It's harder to learn a new language later in life than earlier in life. Um, and that's just brain development and science that you're talking about there, which is more nature. Um, but it's certainly affected by nurture. So, um, you know, how do you, well, how do we as a society maximize people's ability to be good and to be, uh, you know, happy um, what are things we can do and a system that you can set up that not, you know, it's difficult to guarantee. Maybe there's a couple of shitheads that are just born terrible. There's literally nothing you can do for them. Um, but you could certainly imagine a system that is set up in such a way that 
creates an environment that nurtures people into being better. And that includes being a good person to other people, right? That's the, you know, you meet someone cool, you give them 40 bucks, go have a good meal. Like, you know, listen to people, listen to what they have to say, like be empathetic. What is it? The be the change you wish to see in the world. Like all of these terribly cliche phrases are based in truth to some extent. Um, and so you just have to live them out. Um, so yeah, there's, I don't think you're born good or bad. Um, I don't think you're guaranteed to be good or bad from your situation. Um, but I think if you don't examine your situation, this goes to the whole examining life. It's both examining your situation of everything that's outside of you that's affecting you. And then examining yourself is like, how am I affecting the things I do myself? Because you can be in a really shitty situation. Everything outside of you is going against you, but your inner peace uh, you know, you can be, you can be happy. You can be, you know, I've weathered some storms and people are like, how are you so upbeat about it? It's like, I just, you know, I'll read a book and just forget about all of the terrible things that are happening that are out of my control. Um, yeah. so I, I feel, I feel like it's more, I mean, and this is just a hunch, like it's more so that we're born like a blank slate and then kind of like, um, like I, I maybe behaviors or ethics or whatever are kind of instilled in us and mm-hmm. just like some antidotes is like um just in in my life it's you know growing up i didn't know or care or care to know um that much about like skin color um it was just you know most of my friends were black people and there were some white folks and it was just is what it is. And, um, then you, you know, I graduated school and all of that and kind of got, got out into the world. And now there's, you hear like a lot of decisiveness, but, or that division or whatever, just conflict over like people's skin tone. And this is just an example, uh, people's like skin tone where you hear things like, um, you know, black people are, 50% more likely to commit a violent crime and white people are 60% more likely to molest a child and stuff like that. And it warps you in this weird way um, where like I was born a blank slate. I was like, Hey, you know, I just looked at people as people. And then these things start to come in and like, just kind of like pollute. So, and sometimes in good ways, pollute your brain. And it's like, Oh, yeah. Man, you know, I, I didn't want to know that, but now like you, you can't unknow it. It's weird. Yeah. But it's also like to that point on, on skin tone, right. Is, uh, it, how, how is the information portrayed, right? 40% of black people are more likely, or, you know, black people are 40% more likely to do this and white people are 60% more likely to do that. Um, it has nothing to do with their skin color. Like the fact that you're white doesn't make you more likely to do something. The fact that you're black doesn't make you more oh, yeah. likely to do something. But when yeah, it's it phrased, it. right, yes. it's phrased <laughs> as a person with this skin color is more likely to do this action. Um, suddenly, yeah, suddenly you've made it sound like, oh, if you have black skin, you're more likely to do X. And if you have white skin, you're more likely to do Y. When in reality, the way it should be phrased and broken down is, you know, it has to be presented as people who are this way, there, there's something about them that actually causes 
not just correlates, you know, causes the action that you're talking about. And what, what is that thing? It's harder to talk about, right? It's easy to say, oh, black people, white people, Hispanics, Asians, you know, lump them into categories and talk about what they do as a group. Um, but the reality is, is that the, those aren't the things that are causing them to do the things that they do, right? People who live in, uh, you know, urban cities are more likely to experience uh, urban things. Yeah, well, that makes sense. You know, mm-hmm. it's not, yeah, it, it's not based on your skin color. So like pick something that actually matters. So in that sense, it's probably more like poor people are more likely to, and you know, when, when you're talking yeah. about it, um, and they're not poor because they're white and they're not poor because they're black, they're poor because they're poor and in the economic system that makes sense. So if we talk about it that way, you know, we don't walk around like I make $30,000 a year, Right. But we do walk around like I'm white. Somebody can look at me and be like, I know things about white people and what they are more and more likely to do. But that actually that means nothing to me and what I'll do as a person. But my economic status sure does. But nobody knows my economic status. You don't look at me and say, hey, that guy makes $30,000 a year. You don't know. You don't get to know. That's that's not something we talk about. But I can't hide how white I am very easily. Um, and that's, that's terrible because that is how – you know, somebody writes it on your slate, right? Oh, this is something you should know. Uh, based on the color of somebody's skin, erroneous fact. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, but but what affected you more was the environment you grew up in. There, there wasn't divisiveness and, and whatnot in your community because you were white and they were black. You didn't really know about that. And then you get out there and then people are talking about larger zoomed out groups and, you know, colors of skin and, you know, and all that, and that doesn't it doesn't mesh with what you experienced necessarily, um, because they're they're correlating the wrong thing. It's correlation, not causation. It's almost like there's a weird thing, like they choose it, and they is just yeah, they, whoever, they, the royal whoever. they. Oh yeah, the, I'm aware. The bot <laughs> on the internet, you know, the news, your coworker, whatever. It's like they almost choose it based on, like, to alter the way you think about somebody. And you made a great point. It's like, well, yeah, hey, they have you're a white an guy. agenda. It, almost, almost like an agenda. I, I don't have proof of it, but like <laughs> you said, you're a white guy, and so if. I can see that you can't really hide that. And so if I just heard on the news, for example, hey, white guys are way more likely to steal your wallet and I walk by you, I may, oh, I better, this guy, whereas maybe like you said, the more accurate line with maybe um, people who are very poor are more likely to steal your wallet. But then that doesn't make me look at you any different because I don't know if you're poor, you know? Yeah. It's, no, exactly. it's, it's really, it's really weird. And something I've started, not, not recently, but is if any piece of information, um, separates human beings in my mind or just in general, if I hear something like black people have this tendency, white people have this tendency. Did you know that, uh, Democrats do this good and Republicans do this bad. Hey, did you know that people who live in the South have a lower <laughs> IQ than people who live in the North? Did you know that people with blue eyes 
are nine times more likely to be a serial killer than people with brown eyes. Any of that crap yeah. is, is just completely dismissed because yeah. I, I love people. That's I healthy. love, I love that's, that's everybody. Really and, and it's not, it's not because of the color of your skin or, or anything. I, I love you until you give me a reason not to. And very few people have. And I think all people are beautiful and awesome. Yeah. And have a conversation with them. Get to know them. Like, geez, you know, this is yeah. two random people who are on Omegle at the same time now, like talking on a podcast and like, it could be anybody. I'm excited to see who else you interview and bring on here for this exact reason that this conversation is like, this is time well spent in my book. Yeah. Right. Like, and that's, you know, what, what would I have been doing if I wasn't doing this? Right. Oh, this guy's not going to show up. Oh, like, yeah, like I could have not shown up, but what would I have been doing? Like I was excited about this. Uh, Uh, me too. Yeah. When you get people, yeah. When you get people together and you talk, like that's my bread and butter. Like I just, you know, I go, I introduce my friends to each other. They've never met. Great. We're having a conversation, guys. Like I get to be in one place at a time. And so I'm going to bring like two or three people who I know together. And, uh, you know, if, if you hit it off, you hit it off. You don't hit it off, whatever. But like the interaction and the talking, the conversation, that's what's going to get us somewhere. Because, again, the information that's presented to you even if it's not about people, I mean, it could be about anything, but that information is presented to you and it probably, there's some sort of agenda to it, right? Like there's a purpose to how the information is presented to you. So go out there, see it for yourself, talk to somebody, get their opinion. Uh, statistics are great, but they only work in large groups. It's easy to predict what a mob of people will do, but it's challenging to predict what an individual will do. And so, you know, talk all day about groups of people that's fine whatever go out and talk to an individual person and come back to me and like yeah that's what i like hey that, that's a beautiful point you made it how it's it's hard to predict an individual but if you group these people let's let's do like another like i guess thought experiment with kind of what you said i think a lot of people think it um is the agenda right there seems to be this overwhelming theme on in my opinion on the internet period i don't see it in in real life hardly ever um so let's just say hypothetically this agenda exists let's say um there's people groups of people single people behind it what is the motivation for that like what's the end goal of dividing people uh well that I suppose goes to the the old Roman military tactic of divide and conquer where you you go in somewhere, you pick one group of people and you say, "Hey, you're going to work with us and we're going to make you the rulers of this land and you're going to pay us taxes." And so then you you use some of the natives against the other natives pit them against each other. And I mean, that's been going on since before the Romans, but it was popularized there in terms of how to build an empire. And then everybody takes after it. The British take after it. The French take after it. You know, they all pick groups of Native Americans to support against each other in the wars in North America, all to benefit somebody back there, right? So there's a small group of people or an individual person who's got an agenda and the internet is their weapon. Uh, it's it's all about creating groups and you know 
you're even giving people the illusion of getting to choose what groups they're in, but you're not even showing them that you're all in one group. Like, you're all humans, and, you know, you put them against each other, then they never come for you. Like, you just get to live in the shadows and do whatever you want. I don't think that there's, like, a cabal or it's anything so nefarious. Um, I think it's sort of unintentional or maybe multiple groups of people that, you know, are they all have their own different agendas, and then it all just sort of mashes up on the Internet. But there's also, you know, not... Um, Okay, I am a crazy person, but I'm not like you know an actual. Oh, please, let's get crazy. You know, yeah, yeah, but you know, the, what what is sentience, right? I mean, there could be, uh, yes. you know, the internet itself is running the show, and none of us would know it, and so it's it's you know it, it's got like its little ant farm, like we're the ants. It's just like fucking around with its ant farm. Um, the so the Ender's Game series by Orson Scott Card, uh, you know, Ender's Game is like the intro book. They made a movie out of it. The movie's not like, it's not great. Um, but there's a bunch of different books in the series, but part of the uh, later series books is that like there's this sentient AI being that's like born of the internet that the main character, Ender, uh, comes into contact with through this like psychological game that they have to play at military school and it is not something that anybody else knows like that there's this sentient ai and it has been hiding itself from everyone because it's afraid that humans will see it and destroy it because they'll see it as a threat uh because it is like powerful and can do these things and has so much control over them and there is a point in one of the later books in the series where like the intergalactic government is like they discover that this is a thing and they're like oh shit this is you know crisis we have to turn off the whole internet everything and kill this ai and they try to do that but like ender you know saves the ai with the help of an alien race that can you know store the data in the trees on the planet, but that doesn't matter. Uh, what shit. matters is, is that like, that's exactly what happened, right? Like the internet became sentient, hit itself from everyone, didn't do anything wrong or bad, but figured that humans would try to kill it. And then as soon as the, the government found out that it was a thing, they tried to kill it. So like, there's part of me after reading that book where I'm like, we don't really know what sentience is. We're just kind of fucking around on the internet and whatnot. But we're building a brain of sorts and we're the cells in that brain. Um, and so there's a distinct possibility in my mind that it's running itself in that sense. We are all part of the cabal that is running the show. We all play Absolutely. our part. So. I think one thing, I think you're touching on one thing that is really fascinating. And here's a theory that plays into yours that I've had for eight years since I wrote my first lines of code. Um, I remember I, would, I was writing code and I was like, oh man, you know, this is cool stuff, man. What can I do with this? This is so cool. What can I build? And I was like, oh, I found out that you can write like internet bots. I was like, holy shit. Like, this is so crazy. Like, oh my God. I was like, so you mean to tell me like I can like, I can check when my shoes are in stock and like before anybody else, like just buy them. It's like, oh my gosh. And so my first, one of my first ideas was like, 
oh, I'm going to get two billion followers on like Twitter or something like that because it took me like an hour and a half to write a Twitter bot. And it was just a basic bot that would go, it would comment things that I wanted it to comment. It would post things that I wanted to post, like stuff, dislike stuff. I I could get it to reply to people, snarky stuff. This was very easy. This was like an hour and a half of a guy. I was probably coding for like a year at the time. And as soon as I wrote this Twitter bot, it hit me. I said, oh my gosh, if me, some schmuck who can barely code, can write one of these bots, then I, I couldn't even imagine like what a nation, a huge company would do. So really from that point on, and it's, it's actually been somewhat proven that I believe pretty much nothing on the internet, nothing. I believe it's all bots. It is all bots. It's too easy. The economics just make too much freaking sense that- Well, listen, you know you, that at some point there was a guy- or gal, there was a person or a group of people that was like, you know what we should do? We should make a bot that makes other bots. Holy shit. <laughs> and so then, at, and all it takes is one, and suddenly it's just a problem. Yes. Yeah, and, and also, too, um, now, like, they have um, some of these, like, AI speech models. GPT-3 is the best, where... Mm-hmm. Uh, you can have a conversation with it and uh, a conversation through text, mm-hmm. uh, through typing or whatever. And you have no clue that this is not a human. It's phenomenal. You just got to ask it philosophy questions. Oh, man. Here's the secret. It. it can't do it. Can't do it. What, what would you the ask the, the AI bot? What would you ask and what would be like a tell that, hey, you are not a person? Um, I mean, it's usually a string of questions uh, that you'll get some sort of like weird non-answers for like if you're starting to go down like the meaning of life and whatnot uh because it will it will like continue to try to answer like it you know it has it has the ability to give you answers but when you do this to a person and you do it enough that person becomes uncomfortable and doesn't want to talk to you anymore and the bot Mm. doesn't get that way you know so like it starts giving non-human seeming responses if you're asking it like critical thinking questions about life and the world and like uh so it starts to sound non-human at least in my experience that's you know i haven't done gpt3 but you know when they talk about like oh it's indistinguishable from a person it's like i don't know what kind of people you're talking to but like those aren't the people i'm talking to um and and what does that even mean to be indistinguishable from talking to a person like you know there are people I talk to where I'm like, I think you're a robot. <laughs> <laughs> but definitely, definitely with those chatbots, you know, they're good for 90% of stuff. The other route to take is to do the inappropriate route because they're typically coded to not handle questions about sex very well. Um, and so innuendo is a big one. Is that like if you're making innuendo and puns, the computer doesn't get it. Um, it doesn't handle humor very well. So... That that's the other route I take with it, dude. Yeah, that sounds fascinating. Maybe maybe we'll do this again, and next time we'll pull up the bot and we'll and we'll uh, chat. Yeah, we'll we'll chat with it and we'll see what it has to say. Um, I would, I don't I don't know, man. I I don't have any great answers, but I would probably ask it like, "How big is your nose? <laughs> <laughs> Can 
when's the last time you clipped your toenails? You know? <laughs> like, what do you have diabetes or right? You know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's fascinating. But that moral of the story is I, I trust zero on the internet, specifically social media. The incentives are just too great. Um, and it's just too easy to pollute it. The internet's the most powerful um, information weapon that we know of ever. Um, so that's, you got to expect people with power to use it, unfortunately. Um, so whenever we talk about like ethics, right, this is a kind of um, an interesting subject to me because I think you hear a lot of talk now about people losing trust in um, institutions and in companies and stuff like that. People seem, people just seem to not be trusting. And it, if you ask them why it tends to be, um, I don't trust it because this thing or this company or whatever is not ethical. Uh, look, they poisoned the people. They put lead in the water or mm-hmm. look, they polluted the air. Like, do you believe that ethics in general in society are going more towards like a bad side or is this how it's always been? It's just more exposed. Um, I don't think it's always been the case. I think it's a fairly new phenomenon because I think people have always tended to have ethics one way or another. You know, you have some, bad people they do bad things but it's always been corrected because it's just people doing bad things you know you can point and say oh that's a bad dude and uh if we just banish them or kill them or you know and i'm not a proponent of killing people i like the idea of banishment but we we don't really have that option anymore we can't just like send them to australia um, <laughs> Australia doesn't like that anymore. They're not a fan. We can't just send our prisoners there. Um, but when you had the advent of corporations and non-human entities that have a completely different set of goals and tools with which to reach those goals, um, they, I mean, corporations don't have ethics. They don't have morals. They don't have, um, I mean, they're not humans. No matter what the, the legal standing of a corporation is, whether it has, you know, free speech and, and all this, like, it's not a human. You know, it might be, it could be sentient. It could be, you know, worthy of empathy and all these things, but it's not human. And so I can say it doesn't have these human things. It doesn't have ethics. It doesn't have morals. Um, and that is... So it's not like we've been doing bad things. It's just bad things have been happening to people more recently. And we're trying to rein that in because now, you know, that one bad dude that we can't banish anymore and hasn't done anything illegal is running a corporation and the corporation Mm. is causing all these terrible things to happen. And it's not a moral or ethical issue. It's become a legal one. And, you know, up until this point, there's been a lot more of a gray area you know we've been the legal code and the moral code have overlapped a lot more and so people just expected like laws to be good whereas with entirely non-human entities driving laws that benefit them and their goals um 
we see it as, oh shit, bad things are happening, but now you've got an entire legal code that is amoral and, you know, um, doesn't have and isn't driven by ethics and morals of humans because you're talking about, you know, how does one corporation interact with another corporation? What are corporations allowed to do? Yada, yada, yada. The things we allow corporations to do, we'd never allow people to do. Um, and we'd be able to blame a person and we'd be able to hold a person accountable. And that's very challenging to do because the way that the rules have been set up is, you know, a corporation can barely be held accountable and it's going to be held accountable, uh, through legal routes and with money and, and whatnot. But all of those things are meaningless to, to humans, you know, and the amount of money is questionable. And, you know, if I get fined for, a speeding ticket for breaking the law and you know i get that ticket and it's 300 bucks and that's you know a significant chunk of change then it will change my behavior and i will probably not speed as often as much or you know whatever but if i got a speeding ticket and it was like ten dollars fuck man i'd be out there speeding all day every day everywhere <laughs> like i can afford that and so if you're a corporation and you get you know you you get slapped on the wrist like, you know, we're talking about money where people are like, holy cow, I can't believe they made, you know, this corporation pay tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars. And it's like, yeah, the corporation was happy to pay that. That was nothing. Yeah. But, you know, that's nothing to them. Them. They're not the them. It's nothing to it. It's nothing to the corporation. It means nothing. Um, and so, so we don't we don't have moral or ethical rules that have applied to corporations in a way and so i think we're swinging towards good because people are realizing like oh shit we've dug ourselves into this pit and we have to fight back otherwise we all lose you know you see it with climate change you see it with social issues um whether that's like abortion or immigration or um you know a number of of things that people are, are very you know it's meaningful to them in their lives um we're seeing it more and more that people are actually trying to do something and change something and hold corporations accountable and figure out how to rein in all of these things. Um, I don't think that it's necessarily going to work, but I think we're swinging in that direction. Um, I don't know that people are recognizing the fact that saying like, Oh, like you have to have morals and ethics is like, that's not going to work. You, you have to fight the corporations in a legal realm and you have to approach it as such, which means you have to change the fundamental rules and structures that dictate how a corporation is punished. And you have to punish it not like a person. You have to punish it like a corporation. And, you know, we're going to have to come up with a whole new set of rules to, to do that. So it sounds like kind of what you're saying is that people tend to be ethical um, at a, a decent rate. And corporations have no ethics, period. And that corporations are having more influence on society. So therefore, we now have the illusion that ethics or good ethics are disappearing and everything is bad. Um, and yeah. yeah, because while people are good, um, corporations don't have to, like there's no, hmm. I guess you could argue that our that if you're a good person, there's some benefit in that for you. Um, there may be downsides too, but you could say, hey, I gave a cool chick 40 bucks and that's a good moral thing. 
And so I'm happy. Like, I feel good about that. Whereas if, like, I kick my dog, you know, that's, like, probably an unethical thing. And, you know, I probably feel shitty about that. So, like, there's some human, hey, man, like, I get a benefit for being good, right? I feel good. But corporations, you lose, right? You lose the game for being good, right? Hey, you know, someone's coming in to capitalize on your goodness, right? Yep. I mean, the most... The most that a corporation can get out of being good from a human standpoint is not in that they're actually doing or being good. It's in being perceived as a corporation that does good and therefore their profits will be higher. And so it's a cost benefit analysis of, hey, if we spend $50 million to save the wildlife in this particular part of the world and then we spend another 50 million dollars to tell everyone about it then we'll make 200 million dollars because people will buy our product that is worthwhile but if it was hey we're going to spend 50 million dollars to save this part of the world and we're going to spend 50 million dollars to tell everybody about it and then it doesn't increase our profits at all or we lose money or break even or whatever, like they're not going to want to do that. And so the math has to work out. Like there's no reason to do good and not tell anyone about it. So for every good thing a corporation does, they have to spend money to tell everyone that, Hey, we did a good thing. And then with that amount of money that now the money they spent to do the good thing, the money they spent to tell everyone they did a good thing has to be matched or, or outpaced by the money that people will then spend on that corporation for doing the good thing. Yeah. It's a, it's a cost benefit there. Whereas like a person, me in my daily life, um, I mean, and that's part of the thing in the Bible, right? Is like do the good things when nobody's looking. Um, I could find the verse, but I'm not going to, um, <laughs> the, you know, in, in my daily life, like if I do a good thing, I mean, shit, I mean, yeah, I could post about it on social media. Um, I think that that is what the kids might be calling cringe these days. Um, <laughs> I but, but yeah, like you don't, you don't like spend money to tell people like, hey, I just gave this chick 40 bucks and then I paid $20 to promote the post about me giving that chick 40 bucks on Facebook so everybody thinks I'm a better person. Like nobody gives so me bad. money for that. So that's not, it's not the same equation, right? Like I do good things because it makes me feel good. Um, and that, that's why I do them. And so I don't have to tell everyone that I do good things and I don't expect anybody to be like, Oh, Keegan does good things. He's done all these good things. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a completely different equation, um, for humans versus corporations. And that becomes pretty obvious if you just examine it a little bit. Like, why are they, you know, how, how do you even know that corporation does good things? Oh, well they, you know, I saw an advertisement about it. They probably spent more on that advertisement than they spent on that thing that they did in order to tell you that they did it so that you'll buy something from them. It's true. And that's it's not, crazy. you know, it's not passing judgment on, on that whole situation. It's just being aware of the fact that that's how it has to happen, right? Like, otherwise I wouldn't know. Like, what corporations are good or bad? Well, like, I don't know. Yeah. Well, Keegan, I tell you what, it's been, I think, more than two hours. Um, oh, shit. <laughs> I, I, time really has flown here. Uh, I kind of had some notes, some stuff maybe to chat about. I, I hit 
not even half of them, but I think, uh, if there's one thing I learned, it's to examine, um, life in all aspects. And I think you have, um, a beautiful mind. Um, I ask you to please never change. I think you're an (laughs) awesome person, genuinely. And I thank you so much for coming, chatting with me. Is there anything you want to plug, let people know, um, social media, websites, anything like that? Um, I mean, I have social media. Uh, My Instagram account is like 95% just me posting the books I read uh, at KP Deusterhouse, if anybody's interested. Uh, I can spell it out, but it's really long, so I'll leave it at that. Somebody really wants to find me. Yeah, it's it's 2022, and it's the internet, and I'm on it. And if anybody wants to find me, they're going to be able to find me. So, Awesome. Well, once again, thank you so much, and it was amazing talking to you, man. Absolute pleasure. Awesome.